Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Would open up with me your Bibles. I want to go to a couple of places this evening. I want to jump right into the text. I want to jump right into it and I want to go first place I want to go. I want to go to Acts chapter 9. I want to go to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read a few verses there in Acts chapter 9. And when I leave Acts chapter 9, I'm going to go over to Philippians chapter 3. And when I leave Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to go over to Luke 9. And somebody said, thank God for the screens. (laughs) But according to... To the gospel of Ben Prescott. If you don't have a paper Bible. You're not a real Christian. So. I got mine. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I'll begin reading at verse 1. Then Saul still breathing threats. And murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest. And asked letters from him. Letters from him. To the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he if he found any who were of the way, where the men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed here, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly we heard we heard about two weeks ago about the power of a suddenly. Anybody remember that? I said, anybody remember that? You better take notes. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And it is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Then the Lord said, arise and go into the city and you will be told what to do. And the men journeyed with him stood speechless Hearing a voice, but seeing no one, the scripture said. And I want to stop right there. Now, I want you to look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, still the apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Here's Paul's words again. He said, what we just read about Paul's conversion... Now we're going to read about Paul's letter here that ties directly to his conversion. Finally, my brother, I rejoice in the Lord for me to write these same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. I know what he's saying. He goes, I know I've said this to you one time, but I'm going to write it again. In other words, Paul said, what I'm about to say to you, I've mentioned it once, but it's worth repeating. And if it's worth repeating, it means there's something that you need to get. He said, beware of the dogs, beware of the evildoers, beware of the, mo- the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who work- worship God in spirit and worship Christ, who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And he said, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. And Paul said, I was circumcised of the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. 
But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. I'm doing a lot of reading. I know I am, but I'm going to jump to one more place and we'll get into this. Luke chapter 9, verses 24 through 25. It says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Or the King James Version says, if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. And I'm going to stop right there. I know I did a lot of reading. But I'm going to tie some things together. If you're taking notes, I want to talk to you about from this subject. Great gains out of hard losses. Great gains out of hard losses. In the scripture, as you read the Bible, in the New Testament, when it comes to understanding the kingdom of God, you'll realize that the kingdom of God and the principles of God are there. You will find a word I'm going to use that is often described is called paradoxes. Paradoxes. Paradoxes is defined as, as seemingly, listen to this, absurd or self-contradicting statements or propositions that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. In other words, let me simplify it. Yeah, it just don't make sense. How many of you know that there are often things in the kingdom of God when it comes to principles, when it comes to the wording, and it comes to what the kingdom expected? It doesn't always make sense to our natural minds, but understand that there's always a spiritual context that we have to understand. What do you mean by paradox? Let me give you a few. John chapter 3, the words of John the Baptist, listen to this. He said, I must decrease so that he can increase almost like our fast less of me and more of him Matthew chapter notice what 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 it says in the book of Peter he said humble yourself listen under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time in other words in the kingdom your way up is down if you want to go up you got to go down first Matthew chapter 5 it says but I say unto you ooh, this is going to get somebody To love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. And pray for those who despitefully use and persecute you. You're clapping, but do you do it? I know it sounds good, but that's not as easy as you think it is. To really pray from a right heart and a right spirit. Notice, did you catch what that said? 
It said, bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Love your enemy. And he said, pray for those that despitefully use and persecute you. Paradox in my natural mind that doesn't make sense. But in the kingdom of God, it has great value. Luke chapter 9 in our text, it says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? In other words, it's teaching us to live, you must first die. To die is to live. The writer Jim Elliott said these words. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool, notice that, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He said, I'm willing to let go of some things. I'm willing to release some things. He said, because what I'm going to gain after my loss is going to be a whole lot more valuable in my life in the long run. It may not seem like it now. It may not make sense now. But when I, when I let it go here in the future, there's coming a greater blessing, a greater reward. Come on, a greater, greater greatness in the kingdom of God. I thought about an example of my own life. I was thinking about when we moved to California eight years ago. When the Lord spoke to us about coming and being a part of this great church that God has blessed tremendously and, and going to continue to bless. I thought about it. I thought about how we were laying down a lot of things that we were comfortable with. A lot of things that we had gained. The very house that we built that uh, from basically the ground up that God gave us crazy favor to even get that we prayed for and got. We, 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 we did the nurseries for our kids. The Shannon and I, Home Depot projects. I was feeling like a real handyman. But the house had everything that we wanted in it. And we were cool, calm, collective, and comfortable. And how many of you know that when you get there, when it comes to the kingdom, then all of a sudden something gets stirred up. But when we felt the call to join this great ministry here, it will require that we lose some things. That very house that we prayed for and believed God for, along with so many other things we had to sell. I remember the day that we, we, we before we were getting ready to put the uh, house up for sale and getting ready to leave, we had a great garage sale. Because we started getting rid of things and, and selling things at the garage sale. Our, even our families was over there uh, with us and helping us out. But see, uh, see, I, see, we were having a garage sale. But see, Shanna, what she was doing, she was selling things, but I was sowing seed. Because <laughs> she's like, so there's like, how much is this? She's like, oh, that's this much. Oh, that's this much. And I'm over here, here, just take it. Just take it. Get rid of this. Just take it. Just take it. And she's looking at me like, what are you doing? Do you know how much we paid for that? And I said, baby, you, you're selling stuff for profit. I'm sowing seed for harvest. Hallelujah. <laughs> but our family was there and everyone was there. And I remember when we left. And came here. Actually, I came first and we came. And I tell you, even though when you know that God has called you to something and spoke to your heart, how many of you know that the natural realm starts messing with you? 
And there were moments and there were times, and I, I just want to be honest, that, that, that I second-guessed myself. And did we really hear from God? Is that what we're, we're supposed to do? And the point is, I'll never forget, and this is why the Word of God and the presence of God is so great. It was in that time of struggle that this word came. Luke chapter 18, 29. He said unto them, Assuredly, I say unto you, there is no one who has left houses. There's no one who's left parents. There's no one who left brother, wife, or children. And Pastor Ben, you know about it. You come from all the way on the other side of the world. For the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this present time and the life to come. That's the power of the word of God that says right now it feels like loss. But I promise you there's coming great gain. And I tell you, no, I don't have the house that I used to live in. And I may not have everything thing that I used to have but that's only naturally speaking but what I've gained in my heart and in my spirit over the last eight years is far outweighs any temporal thing and so I stand here today I've gotten great gain out of hard losses but to God be the glory for the things that he's done give the Lord a shout of praise and I'll keep preaching This was the principle the rich young ruler couldn't grab a hold to. When Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, I want you to sell everything that you have. He said, he said, be perfect. In other words, be whole. Because see, up until that point, he had done some things. and he had, he, had, he, he had been faithful to the word. But Jesus said, he goes, I'm calling you a little bit further. And the Bible said this when he said, follow me and sell all that you have. The Bible said he walked away sorrowfully because of great possessions. He was more concerned about great possessions, but didn't realize he was about to get great presence. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. See... See, Jesus was not after all of his riches. Jesus was after all of his heart. It was never about the riches in his hand. It was about the priority of his heart. And I come to tell you, anytime God requires something from your hand, oftentimes it's connected to your heart. He wants to see where your heart is. Do you really love me? Are you really sold out for me? Are you real? I know you sing it. I know you say it. But will you live? it being a follower of Christ will require you to lose some things we don't like to hear that but I want to tell you nobody likes to lose things nobody likes to let go but if you'll grab a hold of what I'm saying you'll find that there's great blessing in your loss because there can come great gain what seems like your hardest loss can result in your greatest gain. The great composer Beethoven lived much of his life in fear and deafness. He was concerned because he felt the sense of hearing was essential to creating music of lasting value. When Beethoven discovered that the thing he feared most was coming upon him, he, most frantically, he, he was almost frantic and filled with anxiety. Listen to this. He consulted his doctors and tried every possible remedy. But the deafness increased until at last his hearing was gone. Beethoven finally found the strength he needed to go on despite his great loss. Listen, 
to everyone's amazement, he wrote some of his grandest music after he became totally deaf. With all the distractions shut out, the melodies flooded in on him as fast as his pen could write them down. In other words, his deafness became his greatest asset. In the natural, he lost his hearing. But understand that that deafness was what, 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 what seemingly was something that was going to keep him down and tear him down was the very thing that built him up and raised him up. What seemed like a loss to Beethoven was actually his greatest gain. His greatest music came out of his hardest losses. It is this principle that the Apostle Paul embraced after his encounter that became a launching pad for his kingdom impact. His encounter on Damascus Road resulted in a revelation that brought major transformation to his life. It is here that he penned these words that he said, but things that were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ." Yea, yes, indeed, I count all things for the loss of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered loss of all things. That word loss means it means this. It's used to describe a loss at sea. In other words, when a fully laden ship was raging in a storm, things would need to be thrown overboard if there was if there was to be any hope of the ship making it safely. And what they would do is they the things they threw overboard were described like this word where they were considered to be zima or loss. And what Paul is saying, all this stuff that I've prided my life in was a distraction that now I'm throwing overboard. I was proud of it. My hopes were in it. So I came to my senses and said, it's got to go overboard. What Paul deemed and thought was his greatest assets became his greatest liability. And therefore, Paul said, I've got to suffer some hard losses so I can get my greatest gains. Three majors right here I want to give you, and I'm going to get out of your way. Three major losses that brought Paul great gains in his life. Are you ready if you're taking notes? Number one, he lost religion so he could gain relationships. Verse 5 and 6 says, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness was in the law, he was blameless. Paul had religious activity, but he had no relational equity. If you would study it out, they said Paul was top notch in keeping the law. Paul was top notch in keeping all the rituals and routine. He was never late. He was always on time. He was the first one there and he would be the last one to leave. He was blameless in carrying out all the external activities that was required of the law. And therefore the scripture said he was blameless. Doing all the external things right. But I want to tell you this. That religious practices serve your relationship they are never to substitute for your relationship 
I'm going to say it again. Religious practices are meant to serve your relationship. They are never meant to substitute your relationship. Let me make it plain for you. Uh, Serving in church doesn't mean you'll have a relationship with God. Serving doesn't substitute for relationship. You can serve and don't have no relationship. You can do work for God and don't have any relationship. You can have religious activity that may look good to the eyes of man, but it is no real spiritual value if it's not rooted in relationship. Christianity is about relationship. It's not about going through the motions of religion, but it's about entering into a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion is about behavior modification. Relationship is about heart transformation. Listen, I put it like this. Religion will make you a better caterpillar, but relationship will turn you into a butterfly. And too many of us have settled for just being a caterpillar Christian when we've been called to be butterfly believers. Because religion says stay the same. But when you enter into a real relationship, there's something that keeps pulling. There's something that keeps tugging. There's something that keeps speaking. That keeps getting on the inside of you saying you're better than that. There's more for you. You're greater than that. You're, I'm not done with you yet. You haven't seen everything yet. Relationship will continue to put a thirst and hunger. When you have a relationship, you're not just hungry for him and January on the fast. When you have a relationship, you're hungry February. You're hungry March. You're hungry April, May and June. When you have a relationship, there's a drawing that continues to pull you into intimacy with Him. What you have to realize, I know what it's like to be religious. Growing up in the South, we coined this term that says Bible Belt. And we take great pride in it. And I don't mean this derogatory and whoever even may be watching, streaming or whatever. But maybe that's the issue. It's a Bible belt. It's a belt of bondage. Because see you, I was grew up in an environment that church was a part of what you do. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of what you do. Whether you saved or not, you go to church. Where you liked it or not, you go to church. Where you went to the club or not, you go to church. Because church was just what you do. It was part of the tradition. Everybody goes to church. It's quiet in here. (laughs) You were taught. What are you doing Sunday? Well, first, I got to go to church. You would be out late at night. See, this is sad when you would be out partying and it's 3.30 in the morning and you're headed home and you look at the people that you're hanging out with and say, I'll see y'all in church in a few hours. (laughs) High, drunk, jacked up, tore up, but we said, I'll see you in church in a few hours. 
And I know what it's like to go through that motion and go through the routine of it and sit in service and know how to amen and know how to hallelujah, know how to stand up and clap and go through all those motions. But listen, Jesus said, they honor me with their mouth. They worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's religious works. And to the, everybody on the outside, oh, Javon looked like he's all right. He claps. He dresses. He comes to church. He's got perfect attendance. But there was a season in my life I had perfect attendance to church, but I was on my way to hell because I didn't know Jesus Christ. I knew church. I knew religion. Oh, you know what? Oh, did I offend somebody? I'm just telling you the truth. But I did not know him. That word know is not an intellectual apprehension. What it is, it's watch this. It's a it's 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 intimate knowledge, it's intimate communion that results from intimacy and relationship. That's what he said. Like Adam knew his wife and she conceived. It means I'm coming together, I'm growing together. We don't have a relationship if we never talk, we don't have a relationship if we don't spend time together. What kind of relationship that only shows up one time for an hour and 15 minutes, one time a week, and we don't talk again to the next? Next week, uh, well, no, God, listen, the whole reason why Jesus came down, he's not in this thing for a long distance relationship. He came down so that he can walk with us and talk with us and tell us he, we are his own. See, see, here's the problem. See, Paul knew about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. Understand that Paul, he studied the law. He, he knew that there was a Messiah. He knew that one was coming. He knew that there, they read it, the whole law was talked about and pointing to the Messiah, the Messiah. He knew about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. Knowing about him and knowing him is two different things. See, let, let, let me give you an example. I, I, have you ever gone to a restaurant and you sat down? And the waiter or waitress come and they say, would you like for me to tell you the specials today or what's on? Oh, yeah, whatever. And they said, well, we have this, this, that here. We have this fish, this, 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 this with, a, with a drop of this on the side. And it was easily this. We put it on top of bank. Then we take some butter, fish, steak, chicken. Oh, my bad. Uh, but it said, and we flip it over with a little, little parsley on the side. Then we stick it in and slow roast. We bring it out. We batter it a little bit. So they sit up, put it back into the tip. And then just for, just to just tease your taste with a little taste, we put a little bit of this on that. And then I'm sitting there like, oh, my God. And just them describing the food has got my mouth watering. But this is the problem. One time I said, that sounds great. I think I may order it. But wait a minute. Have you ever ate this? Well, actually, Mr. Ruff, I haven't. I said, wait a minute. You had all that passion. You had all that zeal. You had all that, all that detail. You had all that knowledge and you never tasted it. 
I could have sworn by your description and your display that you eat this two or three times a day. But now you telling me you're educating and knowing about it, but you really know nothing about it because you never tasted and seen it for your own self. I fear that if we're not careful, we'll raise up a generation. We can become a stagnant church that got people on the platform that can give you details, give you descriptions, give you passion, give you zeal, but telling you about somebody they don't know themselves. Oh, that I may know him. Studying about you, but I don't know you. Preaching about you, but I don't know you. Reading about you, but I don't know you. And Paul said, my ultimate goal is to know you. I got to lose this religion and get relationship. I want to know you. Can I preach a little bit? I want to know you. I want to know you. He said, I want to know you. I don't want to know about you. Let me throw this one in. The Bible said, let me give you this scripture, especially for my young people that are in here, because I haven't forgot about you, and I know you're listening. Verse 8 said, yet indeed I count also all things for loss, for the excellency of the knowledge. Listen to these words of Christ Jesus, my Lord. My Lord. In other words, you got to know him. No, he said, my, it's per. You have to know him for yourself. Listen to me. You can't go off mom's credentials. You can't go off daddy's good deeds. You have to know him for yourself. Young people, you have to know him for yourself. You may be the first one saved in your family, but know him for yourself. You may be, have been raised in a Christian environment. Know him for yourself. Mama and daddy will do everything to lead you and teach you and guide you. But when it's all said and done, you got to know him for yourself. Uh, that's the cry of my heart at this stage of the game. It always has been. Lord, help me to live a life in front of my children. Notice I didn't say just talk with my lips. I want to live a life for my kids. That Lord, I, I, oh my God, I can't make them do anything. But I want to live in such a way that my lifestyle creates a hunger in their heart that says I want the God that my daddy serve I want the Jesus that I hear my daddy crying out to I want the Lord that my daddy pours his time in the word with see an old preacher said this he said you can't drag listen you can drag a horse to the trough but you can't make him drink but then he also said, but you can put some salt in his oats and make him thirsty. My job for my family is to put some salt in their oats and make them thirsty for the presence of God and the power of God. Can you do that? Yes, because the Bible said, I am the salt of the world. I am called to create a thirst for Jesus Christ. And so are you. This church is called to create a thirst in Orange County. This church is called to create a thirst on the West Coast. Does anybody want to be a part of a church that creates such a thirst and hunger for Jesus? If you do, give him a shout of praise.
I got to hurry. I got to hurry. But he said, I want to know you. I got to lose this religion. And I got to know you. Notice what he said. I want to know you. The power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. Notice that. I want to know the power. Notice what he, he didn't say. The power in your resurrection. But he said the power of your resurrection. See, the power in would imply a single event. But he said the power of, which means a perpetual outpouring. Because see, if he said in, it would have mean that one time that Jesus was resurrected. But he said, I don't know the power in. I want to know the power of. In other words, I want to keep experiencing it. I want to keep tapping into it. I want it to keep flowing my life. But here's the thing about resurrection. Death has to precede resurrection. I know you want power of resurrection, but are you willing to die? Are you willing to die? Die to yourself. Die to selfishness. Die to nastiness. Die to ugliness. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to let something go? Because resurrection only comes when there's death that has come on the scene. Oh, is anybody hearing me? I want, listen, we got to learn to be dead men and dead women walking. It's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the son of God there is a place that you can get in God that you're dead to the things of this world I'm dead to gossip I'm dead to your opinions I'm dead to ridicule I'm dead to my past I'm dead I'm dead I'm dead touch me I'm dead it doesn't mean nothing to me I don't care because if it's not about my Jesus if it's not about my Lord I don't want to have anything to do with it I'm dead to that some of you need to go ahead and announce a funeral on some stuff in this service. Before you leave here and go back to your house, you need to say, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to it. It's then that you receive resurrection power. And he didn't stop there. He said, you want resurrection power? And he said, yeah, I want to know that. And I want to know the fellowship of your suffering. Oh, See, we want the power of resurrection, but nobody wants the fellowship of his suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to go anything. But the last time I checked, the scripture said, they that do live godly will suffer persecution. He said, even if you're trying to live right, you're going to go through a little something, something. But watch this. The scripture also says, Jesus said, if you suffer with me, you're going to be glorified with me. And what Jesus is saying in the five o'clock service, I wonder if I have any ride or dies in the five o'clock service. Do I got somebody that will ride with me? Not when I'm just on the top. Not when I just got money in my pocket. Not when everything is tough. But when I start walking through hardships, when I start walking through valleys, will anybody stick with me then? Will you stay with me when hell hits? Will you stay with me when sickness comes? Will you stay with me with famine? Don't run back to the club. Don't run back to the bar. Don't run back to addiction. Stay with me. If you suffer with me, I'll raise you up with me. Give Jesus a shout of praise. Oh, 
I'm his rod, I die. Suffer. You're strengthened through your suffering. Suffering is what makes saints solid. I said suffering is what makes saints solid. Peter said, after you have suffered a while, after you have suffered a while, a while means it's not going to be like that always. But after you have suffered a while, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to establish you. I will settle you, he says, and I will help you. I know you're going through some stuff right now, but these light afflictions, oh my God, is working for me and you a more eternal and weighted glory. These sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the gains that are going through coming to your life. You may feel like you're losing, but I declare in Jesus' name your season of winning is on the way in Jesus mighty can I just pray I I told Pastor Ben I said something crazy happened I said all my stuff just crashed before I came up through here maybe because I didn't need him I don't want to know. Number, let me give you these two quick and we're going, we're going to get out of here. Lose religion so you can get relationship. He said the, the second thing I had to do, I had to lose my image so I can step into my identity. He had a pedigree. He had a great family from the tribe of Benjamin. Great Jewish family. Staunch, blessed, prosperous, intellectual, philosophical, theological. Pedigree like crazy. And Paul strived daily to live up to the appraisals and the praises of men that celebrated his religious acts, even to the point of persecuting Christians. They would look at Paul and say, that's my boy. Look at him getting down. For the Lord. Tearing down the church. Persecuting Christians. He had success. Among men. But it was failure. In the eyes of God. He lived and pursued an image. That would always get the applause of men. But it was appalled by God. Jesus said why are you persecuting me why are you persecuting me Paul had an image he was trying to hold on to and live up to but look what the word of God says right here it says this in Galatians 1.13 for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism Judaism, ism, ism, all them isms. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceeding, exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Notice that. He said I was outdoing everybody. Told you. You thought I was lying, didn't you? 
He said, everybody was looking at me, singing my praises and chanting my name. Look at verse 15. It said, but, but God. But when it pleased God, who separated, this is what got me, separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Did you hear that? He said, when I had that encounter, before I had that encounter, I was image driven. But when I had that encounter and Jesus Christ changed my life, I went from living for an image and start living from identity. Because you know, did you hear what he just said? He said, I realized I didn't know it till I had an encounter that led to a revelation. I didn't know that God had chose me from my mother's womb. In other words, for years, I've been chasing the wrong thing. I've been going after the wrong thing. I've been living for the wrong image. But now I understand that this was the life that God, this is not the life that God never intended for me to live. Oh, I was never meant to be a persecutor. I was called from the beginning to be a preacher. I was never meant to be a murderer. I was called from the beginning to be a minister. I know they want to call me a terrorist, but really, come on, somebody. I'm not a terrorist. I'm an evangelist. I'm not an assassin. I'm an apostle. From the beginning, God knew my identity, and I come to tell somebody, I don't know what you've been living for up until this point but I dare you to ask God to show me who I am because if you don't lose image and get identity you will always live for the image that's often that will be continuously placed on you if you don't know who you are, you become vulnerable and susceptible to what everybody else wants you to be. People will define you. Your circumstances will define you. Your past will try to define you. See, I thought about this. You see these beautiful screens? Notice those are LED screens lighting something electric diode I think that's what it is but before we had those we had projectors do y'all remember that some of y'all I don't know it's just, I just look up there now. but that's not the same screen we had project we had screens and we had projectors and those projectors what they did was they placed the image on the screens that were hanging now, the difference between projectors and LED is this. See, those screens that were up, the projection screens, they had no image or identity of their own. The only thing that gave them image or identity was that which was projected on it. So whatever was projected on it, it became God Almighty because it had no image of its own. 
And when you have no identity of your own, people can project stuff on you that you were never designed to be. But see the difference between projection and LED. I actually wrote it down. Ooh, Lord. Let, let, let me give you this little definition of what it says of, of an LED. Let me find it. Let me find it. I got to hurry. Let me find it. Let me find it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen to this. LED, listen to this. Screens are made up of panels. Listen to this. That emit light so you can, so you could say that its capabilities, watch this, lie within the screen. God Almighty. In other words, the image that it projects is the image it has of its own and that image comes from within. In other words, it don't need you to put anything on it because it already has what it is in it. I come to tell somebody we're not a bunch of projectors. We're LEDs for the kingdom. It might be cheesy, but I said LED. We're living for the Lord's eternal destiny. Not everybody's opinion. I'm living for the Lord's eternal destiny. Stand on your feet. Lost his religion for relationship. Lost image for identity. And the last one, he said, I'm losing confidence in the flesh so I can live a life dependent on the spirit. He said, we are not of those. He said, we are of those who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul, understand that, that I've tried to do it in my flesh. I've tried to do it in my own strength and ability. I tried to live a life. I tried to be righteous in my own strength. I tried to be right in my own strength. I tried to please people in my own strength. I was trying to be something that I really wasn't in my own strength. But he had an encounter that says, Paul, don't try to make perfect in the flesh what God can only make right in the spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the presence of God. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, we can't be so professional that we don't need His presence. I don't care how good you get at what you do. You can be the best when it comes to talent and gifting and ability. But I want to tell you, if Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Son of God, stood up and declared, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach. He has sent me to heal the broken heart, to set the captives free, open the prison doors to them that are bound. He sent me to turn the oil of joy to mourning, give the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, to turn your ashes into beauty and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord.
And if that's not enough, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good and healing all that was sick and oppressed of the devil. I want to give you one more. Zerubbabel, how are you going to complete that great work that God has called you to? You don't have the army. You don't have the power. You don't have the resources, but that's okay because the prophet stepped on the scene and said, you were never going to be able to do it in your own strength. You were never going to be able to do it in your own ability because what you're called to build and be, it started in the spirit and it's going to have to finish in the spirit. It's not by your power nor by your might it's only by my spirit what are you saying Javon we got to get a hunger for the Holy Ghost again we got to get a hunger and these days and times that we're living in friend I'm telling you You're going to need more than your strength. You need supernatural power operating on you. I'm not trying, I'm not saying just to preach or minister. I need the Holy Ghost to be a husband. I need the Holy Spirit to be a father. I need the Holy Spirit to live life every day. That's why he's the Holy Spirit to help me live holy. Because I know I can't do it on my own. And so I stopped by on this evening declaring unto you your greatest gains can come out of your hardest losses but the question becomes what are you willing to let go so that you can gain what has the Lord revealed to you during this service that you need to lose because there's a greater gain that you need to lay down so that you can come up what you need to let go of so that you can grab a hold. I believe that God has more for every single one of us. I said God has more for every single one of us. More blessing, more presence, more power, more anointing, more grace, great grace, great mercy. Does anybody believe there is more? That there are greater things to gain in the kingdom of God? So with every head bow and every eye closed, I'm closing. I'm way over time. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.